The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations with which they work. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation. Remember your training and fly the airplane. But you knew that. James uses finicky technology and stories of cheap gas to try and distract us from finding out how his Mooney's annual is going. But we persevere and get the story. It's okay, nothing money can't fix. We hear about the reopening of a tower at an injured airport, respond to some listener email, and listen to a song from a fellow aviation podcast. All this and more on Uncontrolled Airspace, episode number 42, Aviation Maintenance Units. Right. Okay. Everybody ready? Ready. Okay. Um, All right. Just checking. Okay. Well, welcome to episode number 42 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. Uh, i got to start my little timer thing here and... uh, one of these days, I'll do that silently and invisibly, and nobody won't know, no one will notice. But yeah. if I, I have it written in my little notes here, start the timer, start the timer. If I don't start the timer, we're going to go on for three hours. and so. I uh, doubt that would happen. Uh, Worst thing that could happen. Uh, eventually, so. I'd need more coffee. Uh-huh. Yeah. Let's say hi to the other folks here in the virtual hangar this morning. Uh, Jeb Burnside is here. Jeb is uh, talking to us from Springfield, Virginia. Jeb is a freelance aviation journalist, currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine and also as a contributing editor to AvWeb Biz. Good morning, Jeb. Good morning, Jack, uh, Dave, and uh, James, and uh, to all of our listeners also. I hope everybody's staying cool here in the dog days of summer. <laughs> yeah. I know it's hard not to talk about weather this morning. but uh, It really is. Yeah. Also here this morning, Dave Higdon. Dave is uh, out in Wichita, Kansas, uh, where they're having the Santa Ana winds, or whatever it is they call them out there. Dave is a uh, aviation photographer, a senior editor of Kit Planes magazine, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales magazine. Hi, Dave. Hello, everybody. I uh, hope uh, when you're not staying cool, you're getting some cool flying in. And also with us this morning, uh, talking to us from New York City, uh, is uh, James Winbrandt. And James is an author and aviation journalist, and uh, where they have tornadoes now, apparently. That's, yeah, that's right. That's the cool that's right. You know, that is, It's not a bug, it's a feature. That's right. And the, the odd Good weather. Good morning, all, from uh, Tornado Alley here. That's right, where the, the tornadoes have not only knocked out the mass transit system, but they've knocked out James's computer or something. I don't know. James is struggling a little bit with his computer this morning. He's on cell phone right now, uh, but at any moment, his computer might wake up and, uh, and, and we'll change him over to Skype. But uh, We'll go to Skype. It's kind of like re-engineering your aircraft. Yeah. So, uh, so, Dave, any wise words for, for James about the whole tornado thing? You know, uh, well, this was a know, real tornado. I mean, we're not talking like yeah, like a little yeah. funnel cloud. Two tornado in the Bronx. Yeah, or something. yeah. It was in what was it? The EF two, Brooklyn actually, and they say it got up to 135 miles an hour. And I can tell you, even without the tornado, we had quite the torrential downpour yesterday morning. Mm-hmm. Well, if, uh, uh, what I saw said it was uh, on the enhanced Fujita scale, I believe it is. Yeah, it was yeah. a, uh, a level two tornado, and uh, you know that's 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 something to definitely get your butt out of the way of. Yeah, yeah. enhanced Fujita. That sounds like sushi to me. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? It's a little wasabi and some steamed yeah. rice, a seaweed well, pepper. Lay off that wasabi if it's going to be sushi, because uh, and NPR uh, a few days ago, they had a, a show about sushi, and apparently we're not supposed to have wasabi with our sushi. Why not? Right, did, 
Why the not? Sushi well, chefs, sushi chefs consider it like adding ketchup to a fine steak. Say that oh. three times very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> really? What are you talking about, man? I couldn't say it the first time. <laughs> and I am Jack Hodgson. I'm up here in Boston, Massachusetts. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. There's no Jack H like our Jack That's H. Right. So uh, when we left uh, Oshkosh a few weeks back, James was, uh, I, I believe you were headed off from Oshkosh, and you were headed to someplace in Minnesota where you were going to get the annual done on your Mooney. And uh, you were kind of like, you know, I might have to stay a night, you know, but they're going to finish it up, and then I'm going to fly back to New York or wherever it was your next destination was. So, uh, oh, so, so you had to remind me of those foolish words. So, James, how'd that go? <laughs> well, first, I actually went to, uh, to Chicago, uh, after Oshkosh, that was my first stop, and to be technically correct, my first stop was actually Palmyra, Wisconsin, a little turf strip where I noted on uh, AirNav before departure that they had some cheap gas, some uh, cheaper Avgas, 360 a gallon, and I called down there to speak to Mr. Uh, Agin to find out if indeed the price of gas was correct and if he'd be there, and he said, well, I'll probably be there. And then called the day I went down, and uh, somebody else in the pattern also had uh, seen about the gas prices and was in the pattern after me and said, well, I, I hope it's true. And I told him that I had uh, talked to Mr. Agin that morning, and he assured me he'd be at the airport. And, of course, we landed, and nobody was there. But uh, I called him, and he came right over and uh, fueled us up and uh Apparently, it's uh, somehow it's owned by the people that uh, are not municipally owned or something, so they're able to offer cheaper gas there. Uh-huh. So okay. uh, that was the first part. I wonder how you guys did with your uh, Avgas on the way back. We did fine. Uh, Dave had worked out a, a little um, sweetheart deal with uh, um, the Leprechaun at Dead Cow International, so... Uh, uh, we didn't pay as little as you paid, but we paid uh, below the going rate. And, and I, told, I told Midwest Airlines to spare no expense. Ah, oh, there you go. <laughs> Money's no object. So James, There's no jack age like so James, just don't, don't, you, don't, I am back on uh, Skype. Don't try and change the subject here, James. All right. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so I was getting no, back. I had, I, okay, but I my mournful see, tale continued. Yes, do you want me to see, speak on Skype yeah, at let's, this point? Let's give that a try here. Okay, and I'm sorry, you sure. just can't put this off any longer. What happened with the annual? <laughs> so uh, I no, no, no. took. Uh, he's, getting, no, wait a second. he's getting gas below four bucks a gallon, which in and of itself is yeah, an achievement. So, tell us what happened next. Well, uh, so I took the my airplane to uh, the folks at uh, Wilmer Air Service in Wilmer, Minnesota. Uh, I've know those people from over the years, uh, being involved in the Mooney community, but I've never taken the plane there for servicing. Uh, and I roll my annuals over a month each year in the uh, the foolish attempt to kind of save about 8% of annuals over the course of uh, the 12 years it takes to get back to the beginning. And uh, so I was up in the area and I thought, well, here's a good opportunity. And I like to have different uh, qualified people look over the aircraft because everybody's always finding uh, different things. They're all, you know, if you've got uh, experts who know the aircraft, and uh, they found several things. Uh, first, when they opened it up, it looked like there was some corrosion on uh, the engine uh, mounts. Ooh. So 
they uh, just determined that that would have to go out for some overhauling. Uh, by the way, are you guys hearing me okay? Yep, you're, good. you're doing oh, yeah. good. Keep going. Okay, because I'm not uh, hearing you so well, so That's I don't where, know where if we're sort of gasps or attention. laughs we're kind reading of all this stuff. We're kind of breathless in the suspense of what happens next. Yes, well, so they have th- that was the first uh, major thing because they have to uh, kind of pull the engine off, and that's going to be like 25 hours of labor just to get the engine on and off, let alone the time it would take to send the uh, the mount out for the overhaul. So essentially, that threw the entire uh, idea of having it done while I was waiting there a few days uh, kind of dispensed with. Uh, and sort of spending two or three weeks in Minnesota and Wilmer just didn't seem like uh, the thing to do. So what I had to do was uh, was uh, come back commercially. Uh, the folks there at Wilmer Air Service were kind enough to fly me to uh, Minneapolis, uh, the international airport there, and uh, flew out of there about an hour actually before the bridge collapsed. Oh, jeez. And uh, came back by way of... Uh, by way of Atlanta, so that shows you the economics of how the airlines are working. That, oh, in a nutshell, is what is going on. So the plane is out there many, waiting for me, and I'm uh, eager to uh, get back out to it. How it's many done. aviation maintenance units is this going to cost you? It's going to cost many, many aviation <laughs> units, unfortunately. Uh, and, and AMU for those for those less uh, um, attuned to all of this, an AMU or an aviation maintenance unit mm-hmm. is generally referred to as a thousand dollars. Ah, okay. Well, that's see, Dave, yeah. you and I got could, the right idea. Uh, not owning airplanes right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's the kind of thing that sort of totally throws your thinking off because you think, oh, I'm going to get in there, you know, in and out for. With three thousand dollars, I knew there was a problem with the the truss that uh, an FBO overcranked uh, right after my last annual, huh. and I knew that was going to have to be taken care of. But the others nose? sort of uh, caught me by surprise, and it's that the kind of thing you gear? just yeah. yeah, that's a nose gear yeah, thing. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. So James, what's the so now it's turned into you know it's going to take me a day or two to what's your expectation for time now? I have a ticket to return on September 8th. Oh, my God. Yeah. And that was because to leave them the time to do everything that they believe possibly could go wrong with the delays. Also, as uh, you know from our conversations at Oshkosh, I also got the uh, the JPI unit and the GAMIs, and uh, those are being installed in uh, in order for me to start running uh, lean of peak effectively. Sure. Right, right. Going yeah. back on the 8th of September because they felt that that would take care of any possibilities of any of the places they had to send parts out to uh, not being right on the case and getting them back to them. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, so, when you go out when you go out to pick up your airplane, you just have to visit with Randy Dufault while he's waiting for his annual to be done, and uh, and then you'll. I actually talked to Randy the other day. He says his. We talked about this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and uh, there he actually thought his might be ready to go like now. I, he was actually in town here in Boston over the weekend. We had lunch, oh, really? and uh, um, he was saying that when he got back, knock wood, his airplane could conceivably be ready to go. So. Uh, um, Note to self, do not get airplanes in Minnesota. In Minnesota, I know, right. <laughs> yeah, I'll just take that as, as a hopeful sign. If Randy's getting can get his plane back, 
then by God, I ought to be able to get mine back, too. <laughs> there you go. Well, listeners may have noticed, uh, uh, and I've probably edited out a bunch of this stuff to try and clean it up a little bit, but James is back on his cell phone because we were fighting with, uh, with uh, I don't know if we were fighting with Skype or with his personal laptop, which was kind of struggling this morning, but uh, he's back on Skype, or back on cell phone, and uh, and, and we're rolling along. So is that, that anything else you want to add to the annual story, James? So you want to, any, any more excuses oh, you want to give us? there's so many other little points to it, maybe, you know, each one of them, it's like a... Th- death of a thousand pinpricks and uh, <laughs> and more aviation uh, maintenance units than I care to think about. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's part of flying, you know, every so often you get, just got to get whacked and uh, just have to remind myself that's, that's part of it and that's what it takes. And what are the alternatives uh, to not fly, to not have an airplane? That's uh, unacceptable as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there oh, you that's, go. A shame. that's a shame. I, you know, yeah. Depending on how you, you know, I say you, James. I mean, any any aircraft owner, depending on how they um, uh, operate the airplane and and where they get their maintenance done, you can certainly defer things. And uh, an annual inspection, of course, is just an inspection. It's not uh, you're going through. You're identifying things that that may or may not need work. Airworthiness items obviously have to be addressed. Um, some things can be deferred. Uh, I don't know that I would defer, for example, a corroded engine mount. But uh, uh, every now and then, you just got to do a catch-up annual. And this sounds yeah. like one of well, your your turn in the bucket. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you're right. And you see other tales of war out there that make you feel well. You know, it's not so bad for me. Uh, they showed me some others that had come in for inspections or a little bit of routine work. One, an F model that they found uh, corrosion in the wing spars. What does that mean? They actually will have to take the wings off of that to repair it, and you're getting to a repair where you're looking at something that's probably over half of the value of the aircraft. And what does an owner do at that point? Taking the wings off a Mooney is a serious project. (laughs) That's right. This is huge. Big time serious project. What makes it more complex on on a Mooney? Well, the the... I have never had a Mooney apart. I've I've looked at them, and and uh, buddy of mine and I had a derelict Mooney that we uh, went through and decided to to part out at the end of the day. Uh, we were going to try to rebuild it, but um, we had some sheet metal work to do to it, and uh, uh, specifically some some uh, tubing on on the uh, in the the fuselage cage, the cockpit cage needed to be replaced, and that was going to be a, a major project, but nothing we couldn't handle. But we, we thought at one point about pulling the wings off and trucking the airplane to a different location that was more convenient for the both of us. And um, it, it, on a Bonanza, for example, there's eight bolts per wing. Um, I'm sorry, four bolts per wing. Eight bolts total, and the wings are off. And, and um, you know, you well, obviously they attach have... to it. They attach to a bathtub <laughs> section that's built right. into the fuselage. Right, um, yeah. but but the Mooney, the spar is, I believe, one piece, or there's something. It something is else. that's yeah. one piece yeah. spar carry through. Uh, yeah. Right, and and it just makes the whole project uh, much more cumbersome and uh, obviously much more expensive. So you're saying when I flew in your airplane, that the, the, the wings are not very well attached, is what you're telling? No, me. I'm saying that, that, that various uh, aircraft designs have various uh, different uh, attachment methods. I see. Um, the, uh, there, there has never been a, a, a failure of the wing attach bolts on a Bonanza or a Baron. There have been some failures on King Airs, 
Uh, obviously, the, <clears throat> the loads and the weights and everything else involved on a King Air is a lot greater than a Bonanza or a Baron. So um, years ago, there was an AD for inspection or, or, or um, um, uh, yeah, inspection, I think it was, on, on oh, I went, a strap, um, <clears throat> uh, excuse me, a uh, uh, strap it was engineered to go underneath the wing on cer- certain King Airs. Uh, and the same kind of strap mechanism was considered for uh, Bonanzas and Barons, but uh, they decided against it for that reason. Uh-huh. Uh, now, when you, when you, when you, <clears throat> excuse me, when you were in my airplane, Jack, everything was cool. Yeah, well, yeah. Except, except the pilot. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, so all right, okay. Well, it is comforting to know that you've never lost a wing in flight. I, I do take note of the fact that this is a stat you're apparently tracking. So, uh. <laughs> Mooney wings. Uh, Mooney wings are, are famous for their strength, their structural integrity, the fact that it is a carry-through spar, uh, and it is very tightly attached. The whole frame is airframe is kind of riding on that and bolted to that. And then when you get into a situation with corrosion in that carry-through spar, again, so what do you do at that point? Because you're talking a major fix. Do you cut that part out? Do you bolt other pieces onto it. I mean, that that's also an issue that has to be dealt with on an individual basis, and that's one of the things that makes such a it's so strong, but such a tremendous headache. If my God, you find that there's been corrosion going on that you your maintenance shop hasn't been picking up on for a few years. Yeah. James, do you recall where the the, uh, the Mooney in question uh, where that corrosion was on the spar? Uh, it was in the uh, middle section of it. Uh-huh. Uh, so if you take the seats and everything off, uh-huh. you know, and get down, uh, it was that part was corroded. It was around uh, some bolts that were going into it, and just a, uh, you know, I didn't look closely, but that's in the general area where it was. Okay, so the the, the forward spar or the rear spar? Uh, in the main carry through spar. Okay, okay, yeah. Um, There's one ha- main carry through spar. Yeah, what happens? Whether it's a Mooney or a Bonanza or, uh, you know, any low-wing airplane like that, and perhaps even some high wings, um, especially if the airplane sits for a while, <clears throat> excuse me, you get some moisture uh, in the in the cabin, under the carpets and, and whatnot, and it doesn't evaporate, and it starts to, uh, uh, to eat away at, at those metallic parts, and uh, that is a, quote, bad thing, unquote. Uh, I've seen that before. That that derelict Mooney that I spoke of earlier uh, had some surface corrosion on the rear spar, uh, and we were kind of um, scratching our heads over what to do about that. Uh, in the end, it was not going to be a problem because, as I say, it, it was just uh, surface corrosion. But um, um, it could it could very well have been something uh, sufficient to condemn the airplane. Mm. Well. Well, and yeah, and at some point, if you own that airplane, uh, you got some hard, real hard choices to make. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Well, moving on here, let's see. Uh, James, you coincidentally, you are the one who alerted us to this story long, quite some time ago, and now there's been some new developments um, down in New Orleans. Uh, Dave, that's you want to, right. Dave, Dave want to tell us what's going on, or, or, or James? Dave, you're the one who put it on the list. Why don't you t- tell us about this? Uh, Showa. <laughs> the uh, the uh, airport, New Orleans Lakefront. Uh, oh, let's see. Reopened the tower July 30. First time since Hurricane Katrina. Uh, basically, you know, flooded the place and 
and damage the tower and 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 ravage the FBOs there. Uh, it's been a really slow comeback for for Lakefront, and the uh, the the tower reopening is kind of a major milestone for those folks. Uh-huh. Has uh, it opened? Is it is it back to the way it was prior to the hurricane, or or is it still on partial of some sort? Uh, I, all I know is uh, is what I read in the newspapers. Uh, this came out of one of the uh, one of the news wires, but the uh, the apparently no restrictions. Shower uh, is now operational. Uh, they're back in the old facility. Uh, they got three controllers and a supervisor uh, starting out, and they're, they're bringing in more to train. And it's going to be 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. Uh, operation hours uh, for the immediate future. Yeah. Uh, you other guys know anything more about this story? Not really. I, I know um, that um, there, at one point several years ago, and I've been in and out of uh, Lakefront, I guess, in 2000 or 2001, uh, there were you know a handful of FBOs scattered around the field. My understanding is there's only really one open, uh, full-service FBO open now. That's Millionaire. Yeah. And they're not even re- close to recovered to what, uh, what their former glory was. Oh, they're having uh, to rebuild. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There was only recently, as I recall, that the ILS was finally put back into commission. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, there is still only one uh, runway, the, the the main runway, the north-south runway, that is open. Um, and a lovely approach over the lake. Yeah, yeah. Um, any, anybody who's been in and out of lakefront... Um, it clearly, truly is uh, right next to uh, Lake Pontchartrain. Uh, driving um, to the airport from the city, uh, one goes over you know, some, some fairly substantial bridges and, and uh, goes through some residential and industrial neighborhoods. And then one kind of has to go through what is basically a, uh, obviously some, some uh, levees, um, uh, basically kind of fairly substantial Jersey barriers, if you will, that, that try to protect uh, uh, the airport and or the, the rest of that uh, neighborhood from the lake or, or from other rising waters. And uh, uh, it's very flat there. It's obviously uh, at or, or uh, very close to sea level, and it's easy to see how uh, when Katrina came through that uh, the floodwaters and the surge and everything else just took out everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Just to the uh, just immediately to the west is one of the major uh, canals that goes the industrial canals that goes through the city. So if you're on a uh, uh, downwind for the north runway, you are going to just about right overfly that uh, that canal. And yeah. since Katrina, you've been seeing the construction projects there. The Army Corps has been building gates to protect that. Uh, the entrance to that industrial canal, uh, but indeed the runway uh, uh, three six goes right out into the water, and you know you've got waves sort of just a few yards from uh, the approach end if you're landing on eighteen. Uh, indeed, that was the only runway open when I was there last. Uh, the other FBO that was on the field had announced that they were closing, which they've subsequently done. And yeah, Millionaire was operating out of just a trailer. And uh, there had been reports, one of the reasons they got the tower back up, that there had been some close calls in the pattern. And, uh, you know, you do have 
a quite a bit of traffic going around there, and some of it is, uh, you know, there's quite a mix also of aircraft because you do see uh, a number of business jets there, sure. as well as a lot of uh, just uh, single pistons. Yeah, well, that's well, encouraging. Go ahead, Dave. Well, I was going to say New Orleans was uh, supposed to host another National Business Aviation Association convention uh, uh, since the one that had to be relocated. And uh, they postponed going back to New Orleans in part because the, uh, the, the quarter and the garden district right next door to it uh, were still kind of operating below best staffing capacity. And NBAA attracts about 30,000-odd people. So you need to know that they're going to be able to, to eat late and check into their motel or hotel late and uh, get a car late and all that jazz. Uh, Lakefront wasn't ready uh, because Lakefront was where they hosted the, uh, the the static display. And if I remember right, last time NBAA was in New Orleans, they had uh, 110, 115. I may be low on this uh, static aircraft on display. Yeah, yeah. They they generally have more than 100, uh, less than 150 airplanes on static display, and that does not count all the transients. Uh, uh, that come big in and, for the show, right? Big and little that come in for the show, like me. Um, uh, oh, yeah, I don't we got know. there by Air Comanche, and, uh, right. you know, we'll stick our little bitty airplane way back in a corner to make room for all those much well, bigger boys. Uh-huh. Same, same with me. They managed to squeeze me in, but uh, uh, only only at the last minute. And what's the story with uh, insurance? Are some uh, business aircraft precluded by their insurance policies from operating in non-towered airports? I wouldn't say insurance would be the uh, 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 preventive uh, um, factor, but uh, some companies, uh, as a both security and a safety measure, decide that they will only operate their aircraft to airports equipped with control towers. Uh, It's it's more of an operational uh, decision on their part than it is a decision by the insurance company. that That said... Yeah, that said, you take a G5 into an uncontrolled grass strip, you're asking for trouble. Uh, uh, I, I would be uh, curious as to uh, uh, whether that's even possible, given the operating limitations of the airplane. But uh, yeah. uh, I don't think sense. I'll see them in Palmyra going yeah. to the uh, cheap yeah. gas. The, well, the on the other hand, to... on the other hand, sometimes <laughs> an uncontrolled strip is safer just by the fact sure. that it's quieter. Sure, you know, yeah. less uh, traffic. Absolutely. Of course, the flip side of that is a, an, air, an airport capable of accepting a G5 probably has a control tower to begin with. Yeah, yeah. Well, St. Augustine, uh, you know, Northrop Grumman operates there. It's an 8,000-foot runway, and until about uh, three or so years ago, we didn't have a control tower there. Interesting. And you would come in on the uh, the days when there was a, a major golf tournament, because they have, you know, Ponte Vedra sometimes hosts, like, uh, I guess, some of the PGA tours. You'd have training aircraft. You'd have aerobatic aircraft. You'd have Learjets all in the pattern at the same time all just announcing, and boy, you better have your head on a swivel on the days like that. Well, we've got three airports within 20 miles of me that are capable of handling a G5 or a 550, uh, none of which have towers, Right. Uh, all of which have service from uh, uh, the Wichita Tracon folks, but that ain't a tower. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, the airport I hang out has a cool tail dragger. 
<laughs> you guys all hang out at these cool airports. I'm telling James, I heard a story. That you're constantly, I don't know, James, maybe we shouldn't have you on the podcast anymore because you're always showing us up with all these cool people that you hang out with. <laughs> now, I heard a story the other day. We should just charge for the privilege. Yeah, really. All. James, you're, you used to share a hangar with a pretty notable aviation figure in a kind of sad that, way. That's right. Uh, Is it, you want to talk about that quickly? Way. Who was sure, that? Sure, sure. Uh, that was John Kennedy Jr., uh, where he had his 182, uh, and then he had his Saratoga. And in fact, the people that ran the, the hangar there, there were just three aircraft in at the time. There was uh, the 182 that he had sold, there was his new Saratoga, and uh, there was my airplane. Huh. And... Uh, I never met uh, John out there. I'd see his play first, you know, the 182 and then the uh, Saratoga, but the people only had the nicest things to say about him. And uh, I was actually headed out to the vineyard the same day they were going to leave. Uh-huh. Uh, and I called out to the, uh, the hangar that morning to tell them, like, drag the plane out if you would, because I'm going to be going. And, oh, John's going out there, too. And uh, I didn't make it just because I got delayed uh, that day. And uh, the next morning, I got a call from uh, my friend Steve Kahn, the aviation video producer, said, John's missing. And I turned on the TV, and we all know what happened after that. And uh, I did go to the airport to fly to the vineyard as planned that morning. When I got there, there's already a shrine up by the uh, the main gates of flowers and toys and things. Uh, down at the south end where the hangar actually was, there were, you know, like one or two reporters kind of hanging around, and they were quite respectful, but, you know, we're trying to ask, well, did you know where he was? And, and you know, I really, even though I'm in the business, I really wasn't in the mood to kind of engage in journalism, so I said, well, I, I really don't know much about it. And, uh right. And, uh, you know, I went on my way, and when I got to the vineyard, I mean, there were more aircraft than I've ever seen. There were news helicopters, and at the time, I had recently come back from uh, Florida, where one of the things I had done down there reporting on was flying the new Saratoga. And that weekend, while I was out there, I was working on the pilot report. Meanwhile, they're looking for this other Saratoga, which has suddenly become the most well-known model of uh, aircraft in the GA fleet, thanks to all these commentators that were, you know, for the weekend, endlessly discussing it. Uh, And I have to tell you that that weekend I heard more, some of the best commentary on general aviation in a way, it it was obviously it was a horrible tragedy. We've all had things that happen to us where it's like, my gosh, uh, you know, I learned from that. And had things gone in a different way, it could have been a lot worse. Every so often, you know, one out of a thousand, somebody really gets bit on the butt. And unfortunately, tragically, it happened to John Jr. Meanwhile, though, people were talking about general aviation, I felt, in a very positive way. And I think the takeaway for much of the nation was, well, gosh, this is actually more mainstream than I knew. My brother said, I couldn't believe these reporters said, Joe, as they're talking to each other, you're a pilot, you fly, tell us what this is about. And just was surprised at the number of people it turned out that actually were involved in aviation. And the takeaway was that it actually is a pretty safe 
convenient and useful way to get around. And every so often, if you're not careful, this can happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I thought, you know, again, a terrible loss for aviation. He was, from everything people said, really a nice guy and a huge fan of aviation. And obviously, this is not the legacy he or any of us would have wanted. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, moving on here, uh, Dave, you you put a a particularly passionate plea, how do you like that, a particularly passionate plea on the blog um, regarding uh, the user fee subject. Do you want to kind of reiterate that for us? Oh, let's see. Do I still have that link? Oh, there it is. Uh, Yeah, the the, the good folks are home in their districts right now, those that aren't over... Uh, you know, reconnoitering Iraq and coming back with whatever excuses they're going to use about not doing anything over there. And now's a good time to give several, multiple shout outs to your local congressmen, your two state senators, the, their local offices uh, in favor of House uh, H.R. 2881. That's a House bill that pretty much has everybody on the GA side of the argument. Uh, going, yeah, we can live with that. It's going to raise our fuel taxes, uh, but it's not going to fundamentally change how the FAA is funded, how programs are funded, how next gen gets paid for. Uh, no user fees. Uh, the, uh, the 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 two sides of the hill have got to come together when they come back from their August vacation, and uh, work out differences between 2881 and a Senate bill. The Senate bill has a $25 per IFR flight user fee for turbine-powered aircraft. That's going to include a lot of our friends out there that are, you know, GA pilots flying their personal airplanes on their personal business or for recreation. Uh, they're one of us. They're just like us, except they're flying a little kerosene burner. Uh, that's the nose in the tent. That's the toe in the door to opening up the idea, well, if that one works, then maybe another one works. Uh, so NBAA, EAA, they've put out urgent calls to their members to get in touch uh, with their members of Congress, with their House of Representatives member, their two senators, at their Washington offices, at their local offices. You can't holler at these guys too often, politely, respectfully say, we want 2881. It's the right solution. It's fair. Uh, it maintains a, the, the best system that we could ask for. Uh, it, it is a fight. I talked to Ed Boland at NBAA yesterday. Uh, this fight is a long way from done. Uh, September 30th is the expiration date of the old bill. The uh, airlines and the Air Transport Association, as Ed noted to me, uh, have a boatload of money. They've got consultants. They've got lobbyists. They've got PR specialists. They've got press specialists. Uh, they're doing everything they can and spending everything they think they need to to get this user fee idea through established somehow in some way. And uh, uh, the only way to, uh, to to bite back is with our numbers. Uh, our user groups can't quite match the deep pockets of the airlines, uh, but they definitely can match uh, in the number of grassroots voices that shout out. And just so you don't think that this is a one-sided argument or a pitch here, 
Uh, the airlines are continuing to do things like putting messages in the uh, Seedback magazines, uh, sending emails to the members of their frequent flyer clubs, uh, particularly the higher-end members, uh, spreading a lot of propaganda, saying basically that GA is a problem, and without user fees, there's not going to be a modern system, and you're going to continue to get forever the kind of delays that you're getting right now, which are considerable. Uh, report out this week, delays are at their worst in 13 years. But, of mm. course, none of it's the airline's fault, none of it's the weather's fault. It's all the uh, FAA system's fault and GA's fault. That's Either right. the, you're cutting ahead of them in line, which doesn't happen, or uh, uh, the system just can't handle them and us, too, and there's too many of us. Uh, a lot of airline pilots have responded to a missive sent out by Delta Airlines saying, you know, I fly little airplanes, too, and I fly for you guys, and I've never been held up because of a GA airplane being moved ahead of me. Right. Yeah. Uh, so if they're ignoring their scheduling, they're ignoring runway acceptance rate problems, they're ignoring saturation, the fact that seats are down kind of hides the fact that the number of flights is, is up because they've gone to more regional jets. And that's contributing to congestion. So uh, everything's not their fault. It's all our fault. we got to fight back. Right. Um, uh, Dave's 110% on point. Um, I don't even know where to begin in response. Uh, it, it, this is the time, definitely, for uh, uh, those of us in, in the general aviation community to be writing our, our members of Congress and our senators, our representatives and our senators. Um, they are home, uh, generally, uh, uh, this August, uh, back in the district, back in the state. Uh, uh, they may be on this, that, or the other junket, but uh, uh, they, they are definitely on vacation. Um, they are not in Washington as a rule, and uh, they are should be much more open-minded. Um, the, once, once Labor Day comes around, uh, I would suggest that the... the the six to eight weeks following Labor Day will be uh, uh, crunch time. Um, yes, the uh, the nominal deadline for uh, expiration of the current authorization of the FAA expires on September 30. Not coincidentally, the the end of the current fiscal federal federal fiscal year. But uh, it's it's not at all likely, given the the end of session crunch that Congress perennially faces that uh, that will go through as a freestanding bill. What we're probably going to see is a uh, uh, large continuing resolution type of bill uh, that goes through Congress in the last days of, of September uh, that will include all of the uh, unpassed appropriations bills. It will include all of the other cats and dogs that uh, Congress never really got around to enacting and it will probably also include the FAA reauthorization. Um, that's that's good and bad in in a variety of ways. In that uh, um, uh, it will get through the process. Um, those in the know, those tasked with transportation and aviation policy, uh, will know what's in it. Um, but the the rank and file uh, member of Congress probably won't. Um, that's where we will, will especially need to make our views known. It probably won't make or break uh, an individual member of Congress's uh, uh, vote on approving that, con that continuing resolution. But um, uh, in the meantime, we need to make sure that they know where, our, where we stand. So even if you've already contacted your member of Congress, you should do it again and tell Absolutely. them, tell them you, you are in favor of, 20, of uh, how H.R. 2881 
And you might want to also add that uh, you do not favor any compromise later on that includes any sort of user fees. Exactly. And, now, uh, wasn't, there, wasn't there some sort of threat from the Senate side, Rockef- Jay Rockefeller maybe, saying something about if there aren't some form of user fees in the final bill that uh, GA is going to pay for it some way? Wasn't there some kind of threat? There was, was a kind th- of a low-level uh, on point blank <laughs> yeah said yeah you know we're going to find a way to make ga suffer if the ga doesn't start paying more and and the we think the user fees the way to do it that's what's in the senate bill 1300 uh and, and it was rockefeller and backed up by trent lott who uh-huh. you know both both of whom have been recognized by the ga community for their contributions to helping general aviation by a I name love the irony by a, of this by a name brand aviation general aviation organization they both have been recognized so, so yeah we know yeah. there's a conversation going on there uh some of their fellow lawmakers uh, we know have been saddling up saying guys you drew a line in the dirt but you know, let's let's take a look at some alternative ways to accomplish what you think you want to get done here. Right. And there's still room for this to happen. Uh, but the only way it's going to happen is if, uh, you know, we line up other senators to say, no, guys, we think you're wrong and, and, and we're going to let it come out in conference. Uh, so there's a, a, a link that uh, Jack's going to hopefully helpfully put on the website and the show notes to the EAA.org site that goes directly to the point here. There's all the uh, pros and cons. There's an outline of the different bills. There's uh, sample letters that you can use. Uh, I think there's even help in finding the address to your local members of Congress. Yep, congressional directories in here. Uh, it, and it's not in the members-only area. Yep, I will EAA absolutely. Site. So we'll put that in the show notes. Yep, absolutely. Right. Go there, get the help you need to get the letter out that we need, and 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 make your voice heard, because otherwise we're just going to lose. Yeah, NBAA also has a very well designed um, uh, letter writing site, uh, message ascending site on their uh, uh, on their yes, website um, that also allows people to look up and make sure that they uh, identify the correct members of Congress who represent them and uh, send a message, whether it's a canned one or a customized one. And uh, um, there are the punchline is there are more than ample resources to do this. It'll take 15 minutes max of your time and an internet connection. Um, and uh, uh, to to uh, borrow a phrase from uh, sh- Chicago politics, write early, write often. There you go. There you go. There you go. Here, here. Moving on. Let's see. Last, uh, I think it was last week. We were sort of joking around a little bit about oh. a uh, warm weather day <laughs> takeoff that you guys took. Uh, you made from uh, from Dead Cow International. Oh and, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, perhaps a little more serious note, though. Uh, you know. Warm weather, these really hot days that we're getting right now in the dog days of summer um, can can introduce some really serious safety problems uh, and uh, density altitude and stuff such are there, are there any kind of good rules of thumb or or you know kind of procedures or I mean, what 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 should people really be thinking about when they are in these kinds of situations? What they should yeah. really be thinking about is um, flying early in the day or late in the mm-hmm. day. Um, flying in the middle of the day when the temperatures, the ambient temperatures are at their highest, uh, is just, um, not the best solution. 
it, you know, obviously there are times uh, and, and situations where we can't avoid, we can't just pick and choose the time of day we want to fly. But uh, that's the first thing that, that I would suggest to anybody is, is try to fly earlier in the morning or late in the evening. Uh, when you're do- Try to make your takeoffs anyway late in the day or, or early in the day. Um, <clears throat> the second thing is to pull out that pilot's operating handbook and look at what it says about high-density altitude operations. There's um, the words. I wanted yeah, to hear those words. Yeah. High-density high density altitude. altitude. Exactly. What happens here is, uh, you know, let's let's just go back to aerodynamics or, or airmanship 101. <clears throat> um, airplane performance is computed uh, by the manufacturer on a standard day. A standard day is 59 degrees Fahrenheit, and 29.92 inches of mercury. Anything above or below those two values means that you're flying in an airplane on a non-standard day. When you're flying an airplane and it's 110 and uh, uh, the, the pressure is low and, and things of this sort, well, you're, you're really flying a completely different airplane. Uh, you got to run those numbers. you got to uh, make sure that the runway available to you is adequate <clears throat> And that uh, if it's not, uh, you need to wait. <clears throat> you need to offload some fuel. You need to offload some people. You need to offload some bags. Or you need to wait until the temperature drops. Period. Offload a bad decision. Yeah. yeah. And there's uh, a couple of other aspects to this, too. Uh, because also what's, what's happening, and especially when you get to the higher elevations, which is when this becomes critical, uh, if you're in any sort of uh, mountainous environment, there are also a lot of updrafts and downdrafts that this heat is also creating. And uh, that's why if you get into some of these higher mountain strips, you're doing some backcountry flying, uh, you know, in Idaho or somewhere, they're on the ground, wherever they're going, they're on the ground by 10 a.m. and they don't leave until 4 or after because not just because of the density altitude, but because of the updrafts and downdrafts that can uh, really do a number and make uh, make you have a very, very bad day if yeah. you're attempting a departure from some of these places. And let's not also forget that if even if you do have, uh, if you're on a, uh, a high-density altitude day, you've got sufficient runway, don't forget still, you're going to be actually traveling when you're landing at a much higher speed than you would on another day. And that's going to have another kind of wrinkle that you've got to be prepared for in terms of making sure you stay on the runway when you're landing because you're going to be traveling at a percentage significantly faster than you are used to landing. Yeah. Well, the, the, the basic... Uh, Go the, ahead. Uh, the DA problem cuts across two lines, you know, and, and, and Jeb hit one of them square on. Uh, the performance of the airplanes calculated on a standard day, and the wing just doesn't generate lift the same way as it gets hotter and feels higher. Also, you got the double whammy of your engine performance suffering exactly. because it also thinks it's at a higher altitude than it really is. And there's a little bit of help there that is way too often overlooked uh, in, in my lean that, lean that engine. Lean the engine on the ground. Uh, had an elderly gentleman going to my favorite fly-in breakfast with me uh, a few years ago. Uh, it was uh, August. Uh, it was coming up on 8 o'clock in the morning and the density altitude at 3 Alpha Uniform, Augusta, Kansas, was already pushing 4,000 feet. 
Mm-hmm. Now, that's a 1,300-foot elevation strip with 4,200 feet of runway, fortunately. Getting out of there at 4,000-plus density altitude uh, took a lot of runway, a lot more than usual, but it was always comfortable there. Well, after doing my run-up, I turned to uh, taxi onto the runway and set the brakes, set the uh, the governor on the prop, the throttle. Then I pulled the red knob out a little bit until the engine seemed to want to pick up a little power. You could hear it. About 100 RPM change, and then it settled back to the set RPM. And this elderly gentleman reached across and smacked my hand and said, didn't your CFI teach you to never lean on the ground? <laughs> and so you we, taxied back to the ramp and unceremoniously dumped him onto it. Well, I taxied back to the ramp and, and, and shut the engine down and said, you do that again, and you're going out the door. I don't care how high or low we are. Uh, because if you stop and think about it, sir, in your flight instructor years, we're nowhere near sea level here. Right. What do you mean? Yeah. Well, where density altitude I calculated was 3,950 feet above sea level. So we are definitely above the 3,000 feet that the book says you can lean above. Uh, furthermore, it's not your damn airplane. <laughs> <laughs> and therein lies the rub, yeah. You know, you um, want to write I, me yeah. a check? You want to write me a check and you can, you know, do whatever you want to with it? I'll take $100,000. Uh <laughs> But uh, it, it was taught to me by my primary flight instructor. It was something made aware to me when I flew ultralights because uh, most of those, we didn't have a, a mixture control mechanism. And the uh, metering on some of these uh, uh, two-cycle engines could get severely out of whack at just 2,500 or 3,000 feet above sea level, or I mean above the ground, on a hot and high day. Yeah. Well, what was the problem? Well, it was running too, too rich. Well, I had had uh, an ambition which has been completed of landing at the uh, northernmost, southernmost, easternmost, westernmost, highest and lowest general aviation airports in the uh, lower 48. And I've accomplished that. The last was the highest, Leadville, Colorado. I knew it was coming up uh, somewhere. Fortunately, when I did that, I do have a turbocharger, but I will tell you that I went into Aspen, which is just a few miles away, uh, several times with my normally aspirated uh, E-model Mooney, and definitely you had to lean that on the ground in the summer if you're going to see anything approaching uh, good performance out of that engine. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, get your whiz wheel out, folks, and uh, calculate your DAs, and then look in your book. And, uh, and, and, you know, even if it's an old, old airplane, there's uh, somewhere there's a chart that will tell you, approximately how much longer your takeoff roll is going to be when the density altitude's off the scale. And this can happen, you know, at 300 elevation. It can happen at 1,500 feet elevation. And it definitely happens when you start getting up into three and 4,000-foot elevation fields. So be mindful, be safe. James, go ahead. And also, yeah, uh, remember that POH, those were professional pilots with a brand-new plane that was properly rigged. That's where those numbers come from. Don't look at it and say, well, I've got 50-foot margin, so I'm safe. You've got to realize that, uh, you know, you've got to be very conservative. Exactly right. The standard rule of thumb I would use uh, when when, uh, calculating the 
a runway requirement and distance to clear a 50-foot obstacle on a high-density altitude day would be to run the POH numbers, fudge a little bit on the side of caution, i.e. longer numbers, higher numbers, and then add 50%. Because, <laughs> because, <laughs> because yeah, there, there's, there's, yeah, there's two or three things going on here. One is, yeah, as James correctly points out, these were professional pilots flying brand-new airplanes, uh, well-maintained, in perfect tune on uh, on on good condition days to, to that came up with these numbers. You are not flying a brand new airplane that's well maintained and it's in perfect tune. You don't know you know how how old are your spark plugs? Uh, how many uh, little scratches and gouges are on your propeller? How how slack is that left main tire? How uh, good all are your mags? Yeah, how about your mags? Or is the engine in perfect tune? Uh, is your mixture perfectly lean for this particular takeoff? All of these little variables, uh, and they all exist uh, in, a, in an in-service aircraft, uh, will add up to rob you of that takeoff performance. There is no way around this. Um, the, the punchline here is that when you're, when you're flying on a day that's warmer than the standard 59 uh, degrees Fahrenheit day, the air is thinner. The, the air is what we use for airplane performance. Um, it's, it's what helps lift the wings. It's what helps make full power in the engine. It's what the propeller turns against to generate the thrust that pushes the airplane down the runway. Um, all of these things work against us. Uh, excuse me, against us on these hot and high days. And uh, um, the safest bet sometimes is not to fly, not to fly until uh, later in the day or not to fly until early the next morning, period, end of statement. There you go. Mm-hmm. So uh, moving on again, we've got a few pieces of uh, listener mail over the last week or so. Uh, kind of t- touch on a couple of them quickly here. Uh, Matthew from Durham, North Carolina, sent us a really nice email. Uh, I'll post the entire text on the blog, but uh, a couple of things he pointed out was he said uh, he was he was saying some very nice things about our podcast. He says I he says I actually fly more because of your podcast. He says like oh, like many pilots, I am not surrounded by a culture of flying, uh, although I've taken many coworkers for lunchtime rides, but I really don't have anyone at work who speaks airplane. And so he was talking mm-hmm. about how uh, how our podcast uh, kind of gives him a way to, to be involved. And, and that's really great, and, and we appreciate that, Matthew. Um, but you know what you ought to do is, uh, there. I'm sure there are all sorts of, uh, of uh, pilot uh, clubs and, and organizations that you could get involved with uh, at, at your airport and in your area. I did a little quick search. Um, I'm, of course, uh, big fan of EAA and EAA chapters. Um, there is uh, an EAA chapter located in Durham, North Carolina. Um, it's not at his airport. He's apparently out of uh, Raleigh-Durham, which is the big airport, but at Lake Ridge Airport in uh, Durham, North Carolina, there is uh, EAA chapter... Oops, I didn't write down the number, but there is an EA chapter. They meet <laughs> They meet every second Saturday of the month on 10, at 10 in the morning in the FBO building at Lake Ridge Airport. Go to the EA8 uh, website, EA.org. There's a link over on the left-hand side there. It talks about EA chapters. You can look up your EA chapter uh, anywhere around the country, and uh, that might be a good way. Or some other pilot organization at your airport, Matthew, to, uh, to uh, get hooked up with uh, other pilots in your area. You won't regret it. It's a lot of fun. You don't always recognize airheads because they're somewhat like uh, aliens. They blend among the population. Yeah. And one other. 
Go I'm ahead, sorry. James. Go ahead, James. Well, I have an uplifting uh, little story. I don't know if there's uh, time for it or room for it. Go ahead. What the heck? But, uh, well, you know, it's uh, an upside to traveling commercially because, as I mentioned, uh, this annual I wound up on the airlines coming back to New York uh, from Minneapolis by way of Atlanta. And on the flight back from Atlanta, uh, I was in the window. In the middle was a, a young lady, her early 20s, and on the aisle was a uh, a young uh, investment research analyst, and I was pretty tired, so I was uh, passed out for most of the flight, but couldn't help overhear their conversation with uh, the young lady kind of trying to determine where she was going with her life. She'd had a couple of years of college, was going to go back, didn't know what to study, and he was telling her about, you know, the life of the investment banker and how much money he was making and all the hours that he had to spend. And uh, toward the end of the flight, as actually the lights were coming in for our approach, I sort of revived and somehow got involved in the conversation. And, uh, you know, they asked where I was coming from. I had been in Minneapolis and Minnesota. And, oh, you know, I was having my plane done and this and that. And she starts asking about what I'm doing in flying. And she turns to the investment guy and she says, his job's a lot more fun than yours are. <laughs> and as asked me, it turns out her brother was a pilot and she had flown with him. And I got an email from her afterwards saying that uh, she was interested in taking flying lessons and kind of getting involved in aviation. So very I thought cool. that was, uh, that was uh, very nice. That is very cool. That's great. Give her, give her a link to a podcast. Let her hear you live on the radio. Yeah, and, and I told her also about women in aviation and the scholarships that they make available. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping she actually does pursue this. Yeah. Cool. One last comment from Matthew in Durham, North Carolina, uh, in, in saying some nice things about the podcast. He, did, he finished by saying, however, I have experienced one mostly benign side effect. He says, Jeb's voice is constantly in my head when I'm reading Aviation Safety Magazine, no matter who wrote the, actually wrote the article. <laughs> that's I, that's I, sincerely scary. I mean, that's I, just... That is scary. And I sincerely apologize to him for any uh, adverse side effects he might encounter. Um, but I, I, I also sincerely, and, and, and all kidding aside, uh, appreciate uh, uh, the recognition and the reference, uh, both by Jack and by our listener. Philip, well, you know, I was sitting there in the uh, the Air Venture Today office recently, uh, as we all were, and somebody came in and they I, they asked, I think it was, is Jack here? And no. Uh, and then they looked at me. And they, wait, Dave, and no, you're Jeb, no. And I didn't know what they were talking about. And then it sort of suddenly dawned on me that they were recognizing voices from the pod. They had recognized my voice, but wasn't sure which one it was. The voices in your head. The voices in uh, your head, that's right. That's scary. That is scary. Uh, it was so cool meeting listeners at, at Oshkosh. It really was. It, it, really it, was. it was yes. very, very cool. And, 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 and uh, what's the word I want? You know, uh, Humbling? Humbling. Thank you. Humbling is exactly Humbling. the word I was looking for. Um, it's just so cool that there are folks out there that enjoy a little bit of what we're doing here. Philip from Texas uh, wrote to, and again, I'll put this whole thing in the uh, in the blog, but he mostly wrote to clarify. We talked last, I think it was last episode, about the video about the emergency parachute descent. Um, and uh, he was talking about uh, what his, I think he actually had some direct knowledge about that incident and about how the 
The tow plane was not the one that had the camera in it and had the shoot. The tow plane was apparently the one that zipped by the the uh, the the windscreen and uh, and it was perhaps even an ultralight, but some much smaller plane that uh, that the camera was on board. And so uh, yeah, that, I, there, there was a two place kit built or light sport category. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so aircraft from a manufacturer, I'm pretty sure. Of. We'll put Philip's co- uh, clarification uh, in the blog. Uh, finally, uh, Bruce from uh, Zephyr Hills Municipal in Florida sent us a nice email uh, where he talks about. Uh, he, he sent us a nice email. One of the things he mentions um, is that he likes the closing music that we pick each week, which I kind of find gratifying. Uh, sometimes I really enjoy searching out that music every week, and I'm and I'm often not sure if people actually make it that far to listen to the to the music at the very end, but. Thank you to Bruce for uh, for noticing. Um, he writes, I'm a CFIG, a glider instructor, uh, and a tow pilot for the uh, Tampa Bay Soaring Society, and we fly out of Zephyr Hills Municipal, ZPH, airport, uh, which is a short distance north of Lakeland, Florida, and he offered to take us all for uh, soaring next spring when we're down in Sun and Fun. So, oh, very cool. Fantastic. So we're going to stash that little tidbit away and, and remind yeah, wow. Bruce of his of his wild, his uh, his reckless offer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and of course, Zephyr Hills does uh, great work down there, Charlie Mellot, with, uh, with uh, engine uh, overhauls. Yeah, great they facility. Have, and, yeah. and they've got a really is, active skydiving operation. A, a there, lot too. of skydiving going on there, and my recollection is they have some fairly inexpensive gas, too. So Zephyr Hills is a, is a good stop and a good yeah. lick. There's always some, some people around committing aviation. Yep. Big, big airport, big runways, big fun. Yeah. Now, speaking of the, uh, and this is the final uh, little listener email thing here, uh, speaking of both the closing music at the end of our episodes and also speaking of the, uh, uh, of the great friends that we met at Oshkosh, um, our friend Stephen Force of the Airspeed podcast uh, recently published uh, through, his, through his podcast and through his website. Um, apparently, uh, I mean, this, this guy has just got it all covered. All right? He does a great podcast. Uh, he's an aviation lawyer, uh, and he's a musician, too. Uh, we saw a little bit of that when we were doing pod- podcast of Palooza, but uh, mm-hmm. he's pu- published on his website a song which he wrote and performed about his experience with his first solo. Uh, it's called "Hey Don," which apparently "Hey Don" was his was in, his instructor, and uh, we'll put a link to the song in the uh, show notes. But let me just play like the first thirty seconds of this here. So uh, this is uh, Stephen Force, aka Stephen Tupper's uh, "Hey Don." Tower 891, be advised, I'm going to send a student out for his first supervised solo. Roger, 8901, uh, the guy who was just in the pattern, are you sure about that? Known it since I was a kid, I want to learn to fly. Slip the surly bounds of earth and tear across the sky. Like Joe McConnell Jr. in his silver saber jet. Or Howard Hughes in his goose's Bruce or something better yet. An airplane of my very own, a rocket sled with wings Or a piper with a 161 and gauges, dials and things A piper with a 161 and gauges, dials and things Well, that's Stephen Force and uh, his little effort to put to music his first experience with his first soul. He goes on, tells the whole story. It's really very, it's very much an American pie kind of thing, you know, where he, he goes on and tells us the whole story. And uh, oh, very th- cool. there's even a little kind of acid very. rock rap break in the middle, which is kind of interesting, too. <laughs> but I'll we'll, have to add that to my collection. We'll put that into the, uh, into the show he, notes. And that's, I wonder if he sampled an 0360 like homing. <laughs> <laughs> and if he has to pay royalties. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. <laughs> well, we're starting to reach the end of our allotted time here. Is there anything else we needed to be talking about that we haven't uh, that we've We're been only now reaching our allotted time. Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> They told me at Oshkosh, I, more than one, one listener who I spoke to at Oshkosh said, Jack, don't chop it off. It's good. Let it go. Have fun. You know, if, you're, <laughs> if you're talking about good stuff, you know, don't, don't stop. You know, it's, yeah, he's right. it's a he's podcast. Right. We've got endless time. So well, there you go. And we're not actually that long today. But uh, yeah. any other big stories or shout outs that we want to drop in here before we finish up? Well, we had uh, New York uh, finally... Uh, uh, no longer has background checks for student pilots. Uh, another ill-advised overreaction uh, to aviation security issues. Uh, a court finally uh, decided to overturn that particular law. Um, I got a little shout out to uh, a local chapter of the Vintage Aircraft Association. They're having a little fly-in this weekend uh, at uh, uh, Halstead, Kansas in conjunction with Halstead's Old Settlers Days. Old Settlers Days are, you know, Kansans' way of reminding themselves they don't have to get around town in covered wagons anymore. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Little Field, Weeby Field, uh, a few miles northeast of Halstead proper, uh, they're going to be running shuttles into the Old Settlers Days out. There'll be uh, some lunch served on the field and uh, a lot of old airplanes and not a bad place to go spend a Saturday afternoon if you're in the neighborhood. Yeah, great. That's terrific. Jeb, James, any shout-outs before we finish up here? Yeah, uh, I know uh, I, you guys have uh, had a couple of opportunities to talk about Oshkosh. just want to thank uh, all the people that were so nice to uh, to me and as a part of Air Venture Today out there and uh, all the free dinners and the hospitality and just making my life uh, a lot more fun out there. And also want to send a big uh, shout out to Brian, Bruce, and Chris at Wilmer Air Service. Please uh, be as gentle as you can when, <laughs> yeah, when gentle, adding yeah. up that bill. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second, James. Now what, let's back up a second. You got free food? <laughs> How the hell did this happen? Not not sushi night. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was not that was not free. Well, I, I'm I'm shocked. We're going to have to have this conversation offline. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of last shouts, the, the nice folks at the Super Eight who are our uh, oh, housekeepers yeah. uh, when when we're up there working for Air Venture today. Uh, it, you know, it is not a five star institution. Uh, it is. But a, either are we. So yeah. At, <laughs> there you go. You know. Yeah, well, you know, if they had to match our stars, I don't think you could run a motel in negative numbers. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, the place is comfortable. It's clean. Uh, it, they got a nice little coffee and breakfast bar in the morning. Great views of the uh, runway, and the staff there pretty much quickly recognized those of us in the yellow shirts uh, coming and, sta and, and stayed away to their great credit. They, they, <laughs> they understood that the yellow was a sign of caution, and That's that right. they, should uh, not, they should not get too close. We were blessed. And that, we were blessed. That is more amenities in the room this year, and that helped us keep. Yeah, the well, that's right. They, they, they looked the other so. way when you guys were sort of re readjusting the equipment allocations at the. Uh... <laughs> and, and that has to be the greatest commute in the world. Oh. Getting up there, getting out on a scooter or a gator or a golf cart, and driving around uh, runway nine to seventeen, all the planes parked, waving at people who are getting up and just enjoying being around airplanes and. 
get into that office uh, and going to work, that's that's the greatest commute there is. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, there were a lot of little things about this year at uh, at the Super 8. Uh, first of all, my, my uh, continuing apologies to the office staff for having lost my keys. <laughs> How many Three times did you get yourself locked out of your room uh, this year? Yeah, over like 10 or 12 days. And I, I, I still can't explain all of that. Um, yeah, I but, came across uh, you about midnight one night and yeah, you locked yourself out of your room. Yeah, I was stumbling around, fumbling about keys and and this kind of thing, and and uh, the staff there was uh, cheerful and uh, cooperative, and uh, uh, just a pleasure to to be a guest there. Uh, and there was increasingly a, understanding. Oh, it's you again. In, you incre- ready increasingly you. understanding. They they almost didn't even ask anymore. You know, what are you here for? And they just start you know uh, pulling out a fresh key and and running it through the, the machine and all that. Uh, another gentleman whom we ran into one evening coming in, stumbling in late, um, had just bought a um, an electronic flight bag device and uh, still had it in the box and really hadn't even powered it on. And and uh, we got to oh, talking to him. he had so much fun showing that off. Oh, yeah. And and uh, saw him a couple of subsequent times. And and uh, he was always very cheerful and and uh, very cooperative. And it was just a pleasure to run into people like well pleasure to run into him specifically but but people like that generally and uh, uh to, again to me and i've said this before i'll say it one more time and i'll shut up but uh, uh the airplanes are important the the events are important but to me it's it really comes down to the people you run into mm-hmm. at oshkosh that really just make it what it is that make it something i want to go back to every 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 year uh, again and again and again so uh, i Hats off to them, um, and uh, can't wait. Can't wait for 08. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. Well, thank you, everybody. Thanks. Uh, you can learn more about James and his work. Actually, just go to Google and Google his name. Uh, you can learn all about the different books and articles and things that he's done. And uh, and uh, maybe we'll have him back in a little while. We'll certainly have him back in a little while. Uh, after, thank you. I'll always enjoy it. After, I want to hear more about your the, annual adventure and see. I want to hear how many yeah. AMU this is going to take. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Learn more about Jeb and his work at jebburnside.com, also aviationsafetymagazine.com and avweb.com, Dave Higdon at davehigdon.com, me at jackhodgson.com or aroundthefield.net, and you can uh, follow all of our adventures and, and things that we're paying attention to at our website, the uncontrolledairspace.com website. So that's it for today. Thank you, everyone, and we'll talk to you all again next time. So Don and I went flying air work by the hour landing after landing even when he cut the power I studied from the POH and every book upon the shelf till Don deduced I wouldn't bend the aircraft for myself then finally he looked at me and said I'm getting out he could hear me in the tower as I began to shout even without the radios I began to shout hey Don Another time around the pattern Hey Don Don't get out of the plane You may think I'm ready But I'm shaking in my shoes Send me out alone Are you insane? I, I am not a Luddite I by know, so, the imagination Uh-huh, okay well, it's uh, been it, it it's been fine like Kansas summer out here the last three or four days, and uh, you know, nice hot oven like South uh, Oklahoma wind blowing up. 
And uh, it's been unusually quiet for airplanes for some reason. Yeah, I haven't. Uh, it's, it's just been pretty miserable here. Uh, we're in the, really the dog days of summer. We should be recording this. Well, we are recording this, but oh, okay. People don't like when we talk about the weather, so I think we get that, it out of the way. The double, that's on the double secret topic list. That's right. I see. I see. You guys, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. I thought you knew this, right? The the thing yeah, I've got well, set up here records I, the I, moment I starts recording. No, I, I knew that, but I, I mean, that. we, need, we yeah. need to kind of get into. We we need to make this part of the the uh, on the record, and then welcome the James record. when he's back. We could do that. Yeah. We could do that. Whatever. I mean, so so Oklahoma wind. Does that mean it's hot? I mean, isn't that like yeah, like hot. a Santa a Ana hot, wind it, thing? It's a hot. Los it's Angeles? a hot wind. Yeah, it's a hot wind. I mean, it's not like uh, uh, you know a hot day and you get a cool breeze that makes you go, oh, that feels so good. It's like when when you step out into it, you go, that's hot. And when it blows a little hotter, you go. That's even hotter. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I, I know where you're going. Uh, and of course, all but all the operations from mid-continent now—they're taking off on one nines, and uh, uh, so I don't see them climbing out here at all. But I'm not seeing much in the way of arrival traffic either. Yeah, and you know that's kind of indicative. What what goes must come. What comes must go. Yeah. So what what direction do they do they arrive from? Well, they kind of come in for one nine left. They kind of come in over my house, mm -hmm. huh. uh, which is uh, north north and east of Mid Continent. The the air uh, is so thick that the sound isn't carrying right. Well, and the wind's even the right direction for me to be hearing uh, uh, thrust reversers and, and and stuff deploying. On, on jets landing, and I am hearing that from some of the uh, uh, airliners. Mm -hmm. But the usual GA flight test traffic and, and, and IFR practice I'm used to seeing, maybe everybody's just on vacation. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. Yeah. Maybe know, that's it, it, it. Bloody well could be. I mean, other people take vacation. I've heard of those things. I've heard of those things also. I, you know, unlike.